Hello everyone, before we get into this episode, it's important for you to remember to be empathetic and understanding for every single guest that I have on this show. If you enjoy this content, please make sure to subscribe and follow because I do release weekly videos every single week. Otherwise, enjoy the show. Welcome, ladies and gentlemen, to Deep Dives into the Minds of Esports. My name is Blake Panashevitz, and I am grateful to get to introduce my next guest today. He's a longtime legend in the casting scene, covering many different games. In fact, when I looked, he covered, it seemed like, every single game, going from League of Legends to CSGO, and now he is a caster for PUBG. Please let me introduce Lay Smith, maybe better known as Zeman. Welcome to the show. Uh, thank you very much. Good to uh, be here. And yes, I have covered a lot of games. <laughs> I, I, I normally try to get a very easy first question before we get like rolling into like your life going in there. And I was looking through and is there any game you haven't casted? Because I was looking and so, I couldn't think so of any. I, I know uh, I'm probably just behind Red Eye on amount of games probably cast. Because him and me have done a lot of games in the past. Obviously, there's a lot of casters that will be just one game caster, and that's fine. That's good. You know, if they're, you know, if League of Legends is their thing or Counter Strike is your thing, then yeah. Obviously, there's certainly those games now. Nowadays, uh, you can go full time professional and be in them for a long time. <laughs> but as all the casters have been around for a very long time, and uh, back then, there wasn't really any way to be just one game caster, like as a professional, as it were. Uh, so you had to go across a lot. So obviously, I started out in Battlefield. You know, I, I cast Call of Duty 4 for quite a long period of time. Pro Mod, uh, still the best Call of Duty there ever was. Uh, I stand by that one note against every other Call of Duty that's ever been out, no doubt. Um, yeah, and then I went across games. And when you when you used to do events like World Cyber Games, um, and there's a, there's a lot of older casters who know it. I think it's actually making a comeback. I might be wrong. I'm sure they're making a comeback. But anyway, World Cyber Games was like a, a Samsung-driven uh, event, mm -hmm. and they probably had about 11 to 12 games. And generally, you'd have about four to six casters to cover all of those games. <laughs> so you became an expert on everything. Uh, yeah. So it was, it was just one of those things. I know, I know we did WCG Korea and it was just me, Red Eye and Joe Miller. And I think we covered probably about 12 or 13 games in that thing, just the three of us. And it was literally run from this desk, go to that one, pick up a mic, away you go. Uh, so you had to. Oh. Games, yeah. yeah. I imagine exactly. like things like a uh, caster, like, like when you think about like casters now, like oh, we we can't work more than like six hours a day or eight oh, hours a day, yeah. like or their voice, because you know we don't want to lose our voice or anything like that, because it's our life. Like that that shit didn't exist, did it? Yeah, no, no. I mean, in fairness, like even now, even now with PUBG, like when we did the qualifications for some of the tournaments, they were twelve to fourteen hour days. I I did FIFA. Um, God, I think it was probably FIFA 18, a uh, DreamHack, and that was a 14-hour day. Because anyone that's done DreamHack, them days can go long. Them days can go long. But hell, I know some of the Counter-Strike guys that, that like Katowice, they've had some really long shifts as well. So, you know, sometimes you got to put it in there. And yeah, some of these guys nowadays will get paid a lot of money for it. Um, back then, you were kind of doing it for the love. <laughs> and maybe yeah. a couple of quid if you're lucky. <laughs> 
Yeah, that 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 sounds. I mean, it's interesting, like looking how uh, the scene has come and how casting has come, and like where you've come. Because I remember watching you, like when I was very early in college. Not to like date you or anything here, as like an <laughs> age, but you're old. I'm sorry. That's just the way life. I, is. I've been around a while. It's all right. I'm good. You I'm look. I will that. say you look very good. When I found out how hey, old uh, you were, I was like, wow. I was thinking I'm the third oldest, right? Because Red Eye is obviously the oldest. Yeah. <laughs> So given, um, uh, DJ Wheat is older than me by three months. I think we figured it out to be, um, which is fine. I'm good with that. And I guess Nahas, maybe. I don't know how old he is actually. I guess he's got to be close somewhere around there with me. Um, I'm gonna, I'm gonna go with saying he's older than me. So I guess I'm the fourth oldest cast yeah. rather. Yeah. So, but you, you're looking very good. I will say that. And that's kind I of one of the things. I, Oh, yeah, I'm, yeah, winging, I'm getting away with it. The, the gray is coming through. Trust you me, the gray is coming through. Is, is that going to be the silver coming, yeah. yeah. So, uh, kind of looking at that, uh, you were born in an interesting time period, okay? You were born yeah. in the late 70s. Um, looking at kind of growing up, and that's kind of what I want to talk about, is you grew up into, like, the internet age, right? Like, you grew yeah. up, whereas I was born in 92, and... <laughs> That like dial up was a thing like very early on when I and that's what I grew up on is I started on dial up and then moved on but you yeah. kind of got to see the entire whole progression okay so let's let's kind of jump back right let's jump back to the the eighties what was life like growing up for Demon so going to my full childhood um, I guess I was I was lucky enough because I had an older brother my brother's uh, three and a half years older than me um, so obviously he was into computers uh, mm-hmm. as was I. Uh, so we were lucky enough that we had parents that did like crazy amounts of jobs. I think they had some, my dad always had two jobs as far as I can remember, um, to make sure we never really wanted too much for anything. Um, so these are these, these computers that you'll never have heard of. Uh, so we started out, we had an Acorn Electron, um, many years ago. Uh, we never went to the BBC, which was another, uh, computer. We then moved on from the Acorn Electron to the Commodore 64. Um, so uh, some absolute amazing games from back then, um, which then moved on to, I think we moved on to the Amiga, the Amiga 500. Um, so these were like mind blowing games. And this is when I was at school, like the Amiga was out when I was actually at, uh, uh, secondary school, which would be a high school, I guess, for you guys in America. Mm-hmm. Um, so they were, that was like the, the pinnacle of gaming, right? It was, that was kickoff was the football game, not FIFA. Um, Actually, uh, a game called Football Manager was also massive, uh, which has then got bought and now become a thing, and that's that's been bought by Sega, etc., for a long time now. Uh, but yeah, there's a lot of big games back then. Obviously, you could forget playing online. You would have yeah. a serial cable, and you would get your mates Amiga around. You'd plug the serial cables into each other, and you'd play whatever. That would be your multiplayer game. So it would be very different back then. And then, obviously, you had your Nintendos and SNESs. So I, I've lived through the whole console war that a lot of these people these days don't even know existed uh, <laughs> of uh, Nintendo, of um, PlayStation. The first PlayStation that came, came about <laughs> was actually, I believe, a Nintendo, right? I think it was. Uh, and then they sort of split up. And then, like, half a year later, the PlayStation 1 was born. And then we had the Xbox come along, et cetera, et cetera. But, but yeah, I still remember nights of, like, staying up all night. Like I remember, I distinctly remember we borrowed a SNES, a Super Nintendo, um, from a friend. And, uh, my parent came down, my dad, my dad came down in the mo- morning. He's like, Oh, you guys are up early. And we're like, yeah, up early. <laughs> <laughs> 
been up the whole damn night. I think it was like Mario or one of the one of the first Marios or something like that. We'd just been grinding it. Me and my brother, it's like, you do a level each. We'll do a level each. It's controller next and the controller. Uh, so it'd also be Street Fighter 2, the, the days of Street Fighter 2 when the fighting game community really kicked off. Um, I used to be massive in the, I really enjoy Street Fighters. I couldn't even get close to what the fighting game community guys do these days. Going That's frame insane. by frame. That's just like, forget that sort of thing. Um, but yeah, so we, I really went through it. And then obviously the PCs started to come out and we, we, we spent, oh God, I dread to think how much money I've spent on computers, uh, over the years on like PCs on you. Obviously nowadays everyone sat there with their bloody i7s or i9s. <laughs> whatever processors like i would we used to have 386 like it, you guys don't even know what a 386 25 megahertz was 25 megahertz you guys you know, like computers aren't even in megahertz these days because it's just like old things but yeah yeah um you like you'd have to go in and edit your auto exec dot bat and your config dot sys in your bios so just to get that little bit more memory out so you could play a game because it wouldn't quite run unless you had this like little bit more yeah so uh i've been around in computers for a long time and even to the point like when i was at school um obviously i don't even know what it's like these days at school with with terms of computing but back then really the only computing you could go into was word processing which is basically, you know, you become an office drone uh, mm-hmm. typing away, uh, which which where basically where you'd learn to type properly on a keyboard, like blind typing. You don't need to look at keyboard, which anyone could do these days. And uh, they, they kind of had a computer type class, but everybody would share. That it was it was mind blowing that they'd have uh, network drive. Oh, they got a network drive, and it was the Winchester drive. So anyone that's old enough knows what a Winchester drive is. It was basically a drive about probably the size of a 24-inch monitor these days, um, massive square thing in the corner, and that was the hard drive, and that was like a shared drive. It was That was new tech back then. Uh, so, yeah, how the hell I ever carried on in computers is beyond me because, good God, the uh, technology was archaic back then. But I carried on through, did, did college, uh, did university, software engineering, um, and I was well into computers by then. But, like, since I think probably the age of, maybe four years old is probably as far back as I can remember playing on the Acorn Electrum. Mm-hmm. So uh, I, I've so, been around in it. For ages. So kind of looking at your life then uh, growing up, you mentioned that your dad, your dad worked two jobs and your mom worked. What did they, what did they do growing up? Like what types of jobs? Did they uh, my mother was uh, a, a secretary or PA, mm-hmm. I, I guess what it'd be classed as PA personal assistant, or whatever it is these days to um, uh, a chief. What was he? What was he? A chief, chief, uh, accountant, chief accountant. That was, the, that was his thing. Well, chief accountant, a big company in, in the UK called City Electrical Factors. Actually, they're, they're worldwide. Um, they're an electrical wholesaler company. Hmm. And uh, my mom was a, a PA for him for, oh, God, probably ended up being 25 plus years. Uh, worked for the company for about 30 years. Uh, it's the company that actually I worked at for yeah. probably about 11 years. My brother still works at now. Mm-hmm. Um, he is now a senior accountant there, so he's quite high up in the chain as well. Um, and uh, my dad, Jesus Christ, he's worked a few jobs. So he used to be a truck driver. Uh, actually, no, go back further than that. He used to be a builder. It used to be him and my uncle at a building firm. Mm-hmm. Um, then, uh, for, I don't know, actually know why they moved on, but anyway, moved on, became a, a truck driver. 
then he was a courier, I believe, which is driving car rather than a truck. Um, then he was a driving instructor somewhere in there. That's where my me and my brothers, uh, my brothers, I've only got one. Uh, me and my brother both learned to drive, so I passed my driving test. Uh, I think the day after my 17th birthday, which is when you can take it in the UK, you can't uh, legally drive uh, until you're 17. Uh, so I passed my driving test literally a day after my 17th birthday. Wasn't allowed to tell the test instructor like who I was. And like I got dropped off by one of my dad's friends instructors, not my dad. So they didn't like say, this is an instructor's son. Let's nail him. Yeah. So it was all like, whoa, sneaky to get into the driving test center, but passed it no, first time. My brother passed it first time as well. So my dad obviously did a pretty good job and literally taught all of my friends to drive, like all my friends at school, all my friends a year above me, the year below me, <laughs> all my brother's friends, like everyone was taught to drive by big D, big my Dave's Dave, big Dave. Um, but yeah, then he moved on to be, uh, I don't know, he gave up the driving instructing because it, it makes absolutely no money in the UK. Um, and yeah, and then he, then he, I don't know, he just can't, he's just always had multiple jobs on the go. Um, was working like crazy just to make sure we basically had what we needed. So I can't complain on that side. I had a, I had a great uh, childhood. It, does that mean you didn't get to see him very often? Because I can't imagine working two jobs, uh, you get to see him that often. Yeah, yes, yes and no. I mean, obviously, as a kid, you, you don't really yeah. notice it as much because you're going to school and you're playing after school and you're doing whatever. And then it'd be back by dinner anyway, so you'd kind of see him. Uh, I guess I, I can remember when he was a truck driver, he'd obviously have away nights and stuff like that. So, uh, I mean, it's the UK, it's not America, so it's not yeah. quite the same status as truck driving. If, you, if you're obviously a long-haul driver in, um, in America, you're gone for several days, I guess, um, whereas a long-haul truck driver in the UK is basically just he's gone overnight. He's gone up to... I don't know, Liverpool or whatever. He'd go off to London or something like that. Sometimes I'd go, I'd go in the truck with him. If it was a school holiday, you'd go off in the truck with him, which would be great. She'd be like on an adventure. Oh, we've got an adventure. Probably for my dad, it's just like, yeah, great. We're in some greasy spoon down in London. Um, <laughs> some, some, some rundown hole. But yeah, he used to work for, actually, it was a big telecommunications company. They used to do a lot of the work for British Telecom, which is uh, still the main infrastructure in the UK. For all our wonderful internet. Yeah. I, I, <laughs> wonderful internet. When I hear back in the 80s, I'm like, oh, God, what was what was worse than dial-up back then? Oh, God. Dial-up. Dial-up was Jesus Christ. I, I remember running up, and anyone that was around in that era remembers running up massive phone bills. Um, and that literally would be my work. When I was working, like, you know, when you're, you're working 16, 17, 18 years old, when you're mm -hmm. doing those whatever Saturday jobs that you've got or whatever you do, um, it was all going into paying for the phone bill. <laughs> Every little bit of it. And then your mom would pick up the phone downstairs and that's it, you're disconnected. Shit, I was mid-Delta Force or whatever I was playing, or Diablo actually probably back then. It would have been the first, very first Diablo. I remember playing that on dial-ups. Yeah, oh, I, and Ultima Online. Ultima Online. I was, oh my God, I was just going to say Ultima Online. Uh, Ultima Online was the game that really got me. Uh, oh, Felucia. Oh, yeah. I miss it. So I, that was actually the first game I started playing was Ultima Online. I was six years old. My dad got me into Ultima oh, Online. God, yeah. uh, I remember it like playing 90, it. 98, I think it was Ultima yeah. Online, right? 98, yep. 97, 98, somewhere around there. Yeah, I played. Yeah. That was my game for 15 years. I played Ultima Online for like 15 wow, years. Wow, that's yeah, a long was, time. I, I, I was 
around in the beta. So I remember when Lord Britain got killed. I was there mm-hmm. when uh, he got killed by Hobes. Uh, it was just like, oh, <laughs> someone just killed Lord Britain. That shouldn't happen. Uh, and then I played on the Atlanta, the Atlantic, Atlantic server for, I think I was on it for probably like two or three years. And then I think we moved over to uh, whatever the European server was called. I don't think I was on that one. Europa. I don't think I was on that one for very long. Me and my brother played it a lot, though. That was such a good game, though. It was, was so such, good. I keep looking for games that just, like, are the, of the same ilk, and they're just not quite the same. So there is one that's out. I don't know if it's as good. It's called Legends of Aria. They actually did a mod where they're rebuilding functionally everything that is Ultima Online. Ah. Uh, it, it's it's kind of cool. So and I, I, I I'm know. on it. It's it's. I always it's I cool. always think it's like rose tinted glasses, right? It is it's like it's like Wow Classic that's coming out right now. Everyone's like, oh yeah, Wow Classic, Wow Classic. I'm like, guys, are yeah. you serious? Do you want to grind for hours? You do not want to play. You yeah. you have these wonderful rose tinted look back of like what this game was like when it came out. And don't get yeah. me wrong, Wow Classic was amazing when it came out, but. Nobody has the time for that shit anymore. Like I played EverQuest for crazy amounts and like trying to explain to people that you would camp a mob for a full week in real life to just to get that one drop in the game. Like people can't understand that shit. They want instant satisfaction in, in MMOs these days, which is why MMOs all died off. Yeah, it's very sad. But I, I, I can't believe you mentioned Ultima. I was going to say like <laughs> Ultima was my game growing up and it was like my, my go-to. So uh, that being said, you grew up in, like, school for me was obviously heavily involved with computers, especially, like, towards the later yeah. years of my school. What was school like for you growing up in that time period? Uh, what, in the 80s? Yeah, the 80s. Well, yeah. Um, big, big hair bands. Is that what you <laughs> Actually, uh, there's a cattail. There we go. Um, I was, a, I, I am and was a metaller, so I, I have luckily actually like a lot of people are like, ah, but i'm like ah no screw you guys i've seen the best era of metal in my life and i went to a lot of concerts i was that kid at school um that would go to all the concerts like because because obviously my brother is, is older than me so he would go and i'd go tag along with him and they'd probably hate it um i distinctly remember seeing um god it was it was megadeth slayer anthrax and testament i want to say um, when I was probably about 14 years old and there was, there's two schools where I'm from. It's called Aylesford and Mighton schools in, in, uh, in and around Warwick where I grew up and they were like the two rival schools effectively, but we weren't rivals, the ones that, cause we knew each other. So it ended up, there was probably about 30 to 40, maybe even 50 of us from the two schools at this concert. And like, we were just like all in the, the pit at the front and it was just madness. But it's, uh, that, God, that was when I was about 14 years old. Yeah many years ago, but uh, I, I've grown up through the, the whole era of that. And that was, that was kind of my school livelihood. Um, I, I don't know my school. I just, I just had fun at school, right? You just, that's what you do. Uh, I didn't really have any problems. I wasn't picked on. I wasn't bullied. If anything, I was a bit of a bully maybe myself. I don't know. Um, not too much. I'm all, it was more uh, protecting people. I think I was, um, I was, I was bigger, big enough to be able to hold my own at school. Let's put it that way. So I didn't, I didn't get picked on. And even though I was the computer nerd, which was, which is a bit weird, I guess. It is. Um, no, normally that geeky side of things, but yeah, I was, I was the geek computer guy, but um, would certainly be able to hold my own. And I'm a massive football fan as well. So I was a uh, big on football uh, back then as well. So it's kind of, I don't know. There's nothing, nothing like that stands out that I can think of in my school life. that will be like, Oh, you know, this happened to me in school, so that's why I did this. I do remember, though, 
in school, I distinctly remember because you know you you always have those. What are they called? The 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 people that are going to basically tell you what what you're going to be in your life. You know, you oh, yeah. whatever yeah. occupational people or whatever the hell they're trying to tell you. Like, oh, it was a you'll never because uh, I was terrible at English at the time. Um, so you'll never do anything in computers <laughs> because you but maths. Even though I was amazing at maths, not have been. Um, you wouldn't think it were my on-air maths um, and and English, my English skills. So obviously, you need for for anything in computing, you needed English and maths. So it's like, oh, you'd never be able to do that. You should divert your attention to do whatever in science or or whatever in geography or some shit like that because I was good with geography as well. And it's just like what? <laughs> um, yeah, I'd love to be able to speak to my teachers now and say, Fuck you guys. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, all the stuff. I I still um I still in contact with the old Facebook groups, you know, your school reunions mm-hmm. and all that shit. So there's a lot of people out back there, and they're like, "Where are you? Where are you?" And now and again, I've actually I got to the point where I just gave up posting on Facebook, like because it just felt like I was rubbing it in. It's like, oh, I'm in Dominican Republic doing this. I'm in London now. Now I'm over in Germany. Now I'm over in Sweden. Yeah, it's like it kind of. Floating around the world, yeah, I kind of gave up just posting it nonstop because I was just rubbing it in too much. <laughs> there's always, there's always so much you can, you can be like, oh, look at how much better my life is than yours. Yeah, exactly, exactly. It's like this is it's just uh, this t- sounds bad now. I'll just uh, get on with it. But, but no, I didn't really, I don't really have too many problems at school. Honestly, I was, you know, I got on with, got on with a lot of people. I was just kind of like fairly average <laughs> at school, I guess. <laughs> So, so you mentioned that you were good at uh, you were good at math, but you said that uh, English wasn't really your strong suit. Like, what kind of uh, when you were because you obviously went to university uh, when you were going through school, was there any subjects that were like really hard versus really easy? And when you say not good, were you like really really bad at English, or were you just like average at English? No, so um, I don't know how it is outside of England, but where I grew up, I grew up in I was born in Leamington Spa, and I grew up in Warwick. And Stratford-upon-Avon is right next door. So that is the land of Shakespeare. So naturally, I fucking hated Shakespeare um, because it was forced down my throat from a very early age. You're in Shakespeare land, Shakespeare, Shakespeare, Shakespeare. So naturally, I hated that shit, which is why I did so bad in English, because it was all Shakespeare book this, Shakespeare book that, Shakespeare book, read this one. What did he mean with this? And it's like, I don't care. I don't fucking care about Shakespeare. Like, what in my life am I ever going to use this? It's like when you're doing algebra and shit at school. You're just like, where would trigonometry? When will I ever use this in real life? I did fucking, anyone that's done university, like quantitative methods and shit like that with maths, it's the same sort of thing. You just think, at what point in my life will I ever use this shit? And you never do. You never do. Like, am I gonna am I gonna start quoting Shakespeare during a cast? No, I'm not. <laughs> never, never will I. <laughs> you should start. So you should be like, like grab some and then just it. quote that's it. Just like, like, I needed to make use of this some way, so I didn't waste those early years of my <laughs> life. So I'm bringing them in now. The only quotes I ever did, I think I did League of Legends. I went through the, uh, I think it was 25 years of of decade of aggression or something like that. One of the Slayer albums, and I quoted every song title in there. I managed to get it into the commentary. Uh, the hardest one was when Shushay did something and I said, Jesus saves. <laughs> something like that. that was one of, the, one of the Slayer songs. And my, and Joe, I think I was casting with Joe at the time. Joe's looking at me like, 
what the fuck did you just say? He was kind of like, look, quizzical look in his face. Like, what are you on about? Because nobody, I didn't told anyone. I just got this sly little list on my side that I was quickly quoted. Uh, <laughs> you just need to the album. Like, yeah, yeah. Uh, <laughs> no, I just did. I just didn't let him on it. I just, it was just fun to play along with the ball. <laughs> so, so you did go to university, but you're going through you're going through uh, high school. So, what made you want to go to university? Because obviously, you went, um, you graduated in like uh, early '90s, right? Yeah, I think that's yeah, so yeah, early '90s. Like and, and from what I know, at least uh, from like the United States, like college was not really a necessity in the nineties. Like nowadays, uh, I pretty much everyone like growing up, like for me was like, you're either going to college or you're flipping burgers for the rest of your fucking life. And good luck. <laughs> that's what I was being, that's what I was told. That's why I did become a musician. <laughs> so yeah, I mean, it was kind of like that. So I actually, I fucked up with a couple of things, English being one of them. So I had to go to, um, uh, you can either, basically when you finish school, you either go on to, uh, in the UK, you did GCSEs, which is your main school thing, which is now, I think it's still going. Um, and then you'd move on to A-levels, which would be like the next higher level in um, in school. Or you can go to college, which is different from American college. College is like an intermediary thing. Mm-hmm. Um, before It's like a step before university. And uh, you'd go and do whatever there. So I went and did um, computers at college because basically the computers were way fucking superior at college than they ever were at my school. Um, so I was like, yes, I want to go there. And my brother had done the same thing. So I kind of knew what I was getting myself into, like gone onto that. And he was then at university before I'd gone there. Cause he was, remember he was three and a half years ahead of me. Yeah. college is only two years. So he was already at uni. He went to Oxford uni. So suddenly it was like, shit, he's going to Oxford uni. I got to step my game up. <laughs> so, um, <clears throat> then I went on, uh, so I did college. And I actually excelled college. Basically, I fucking like went from school where I was kind of like I didn't like the teachers that well. Some of them. Uh, so if I liked the teacher, I'd do really well. If I thought they were an asshole, I just pretty did much did shit in the class. You know, as you do, you just piss around, yeah. right? You don't really you don't take it seriously. Uh, then when you got to college, suddenly it was like shit. This is actually my life. I should probably take this pretty serious. So suddenly I stepped up and like flew through college, the highest grades you could get. It was distinctions. It was weird because it was, it went from A, B, C, D, blah, 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 you know, your normal grades uh, to college was distinction, merit, and I don't know, whatever, fucking fail or whatever the hell the bottom one was. I guess it was pass and then fail. I don't know. I just had distinctions all the way through. It's equivalent of A pluses. Um, so I absolutely blasted through, and that was where I was programming. <laughs> uh, back then, it was COBOL, which I don't know if anyone even programs in that. Pascal, which was the spiritual successor to, I think, C, C and C++. I think it was. It was the one before it. Um, yeah, COBOL, Pascal. Um, fucking hell, I can't even think of all the other ones. There was one that was uh, pretty much basic. It, was, it wasn't Visual Basic. It was Basic. I don't know what it was called. Um, but it was basically almost coding in Norton fucking ones. It was, it was pretty, pretty low level shit. You could actually, it was the early coding that you could do on consoles, if I remember rightly. Um, yeah. And I, I, I blitzed it when I was in college, which is why I was like, okay, they were like, yeah, you should probably go to uni. Um, cause you've smashed all the subjects. So it was like, all right, it was just the natural thing. Now the problem, um, back then. Uh, prior, literally the year I went, and obviously Americans will definitely know about it. This um, prior to that, the government would pay for you to go to university, which is why a lot of people used to go to university in the eighties, 
painters uh, because it was all government grants, uh, et cetera, et cetera. The year I went, that shit went out the window. <laughs> you had to pay for fucking everything. <laughs> so, yeah, the year I went, that kind of went out the window. So, boom, I had to uh, pay my way through university. So it kind of sucked. Yeah, because I mentioned you were working uh, one to two jobs while also going to school then probably, right? So what kind of what kind of jobs yeah. did you work then? Um, well, I dropped out of university after two years, two years. It was a four year course. Um, third year was like a third year is like work experience anyway. That's how they, I can't remember what they call them sandwich courses that they used to. It was basically two years uni. Third year is like uh, you go on an ex- work experience somewhere effectively for a year. And the fourth year is like your dissertation and shit like that. Um, now, at the time, it probably maybe is still relevant. I don't know really how the computer engineering, the, the software engineering is uh, and that in these days. But in mind, it was the 90s. Um, so technology was moving on really fucking fast. Like yeah. everything was like, you know, obviously Windows had gone from 3.1 to uh, I think it had gone 95, Windows 95 then, Windows ME and fucking all that sort of stuff. That was developing, and all the software was developing at a mega, mega rate. Programming, like you could learn programming in university, and it's all out of date. So you, it got to the point, I was just like, all the jobs I was looking at, because obviously at that point we were looking at right, third year, uh, where are you going to work? Well, all of it had gone from which I guess now is back to it, but you needed university requirements, right? Now it's like, you look at all the jobs, it's like, degree, must have a degree, must have a degree. Now, at the time, that shit had gone out the window because things were moving on. It was all about experience. Have you got experience in this? Have you got experience in this? Have you got experience? Because degrees meant nothing at the time because just the technology was moving too fast. That if you took a degree, you were already behind, so it didn't mean anything. So I was just like, fuck this then. I was like, this is pointless. So I went and got a job as a hardware engineer instead. So I was like, right, it's getting computers. It's the, the way I can get in the door, become a hardware engineer, which is literally, you know, fixing and repairing PCs and printers and monitors. Actually, you know, it was literally monitors back then because it was CRT monitors. None of these fucking LED and fancy shit you get these days. Uh, you had a big fucking box. You had to short circuit that shit or you would get a big fucking shock when you took the back off. Uh, but yeah, there's all sorts of things, all sorts of weird and wonderful ways you have to fix stuff. Uh, and printers, etc. And I, I absolutely hate building computers these days because I obviously did it as a job for a few years. Yeah. So I mean, I could build a computer no problem, but I hate doing it because it was a job. Uh, yeah, and then no. naturally, when you've done that, everybody wants you to fix their shit. And you're like, no, that's my job. I don't want to fix your fucking computer as well. <laughs> hey, like, but yeah, so that, that was those dollar I, bills when I'm working, and I'll uh, I'll fix your computer. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, so I, I, I went on to uh, hardware engineer for, I think, two or three years. And then I moved on. Um, back then, there was like a bubble coming up with, uh, with contractors, contract work, and you made a lot of money. Um, so you'd, you'd basically become a contractor and end up doing, you know, whatever it was. I think it was like £50 an hour or whatever it was contracting back then. Um, and then you'd be blasting around everywhere, all around the country in my car fixing whatever the contracts people wanted me to fix, um, which actually involved going into prisons as well, by the way, to so fix computers in prisons, which was always fun. Because uh, you go into prison. Yeah, because I, I, I have a psychology degree and I actually own a counseling firm. I actually worked in a jail okay. for like a year and a half. And I will say yeah. it, a little bit different. I, 
Debatable on which one is scarier because prisons have a lot more uh, structure set up in them compared to like a jail, which yeah. is normal. And this was like a long-term holding. But yeah, jails are terrifying. I hate those magnetic locking doors. Not something I personally like. There's that. And there's, there's remember, you got to account for absolutely everything you take into the place. And as a hardware engineer, oh, yeah. you're taking in screwdrivers and all sorts of shit. So you've got to make sure you do not misplace anything. And I know... Uh, a colleague of mine that did go into the, the same one and then lost his screwdriver. And then it was just like, they had to have a fucking lockdown, like search everyone. Um, I think he just misplaced it somewhere. Like that's all it was, but yeah, you had to make sure you account for everything in those places. But yeah, it's, it's interesting going into those sort of things. <laughs> yeah, it is. Uh, oh yeah. Lockdown sucked too. I did not like, I, I happened once where I got stuck in one where I was inside of a cell doing a group stuff and they locked down and I was like stuck there for an, an exorbitant like, amount of time. Oh, shit, my life now. <laughs> I'll leave it here. So, but no, it's, it, that's very interesting that you, you've been in uh, like jails and prison stuff. What was that experience like for you? Cause I know for me that there's a lot of stuff that I, cause I was working with people in there. I was <laughs> like, you know, I never want to do that again. I never yeah, personally yeah. want to ever go back into a jail again. It's, it's pretty much the same, right? You, you realize just like, how confined it is in there and stuff like that. I mean, all I was doing was I was driving up and then going in through all the security and then fixing whatever I needed to fix and then coming out again. Um, obviously, I always had that. But yeah, you definitely have that experience of like, shit, I never want to end up in here. That's for sure. So you made sure you do your, <laughs> you do your stuff right. And uh, yeah, don't end up in bloody prison. Jesus Christ. Yeah. yeah. So I mean, you, even, you, the, even the ones I went to are like, they weren't like mega high security yeah. ones still, but. But still, you still yeah. like you can realize how confined it'd be. Like you said, when you had that lockdown, you're just like, "Oh shit, I'm actually locked in." Yeah, and so and obviously that's that's your that's your everyday life if you're in there. Yeah, I I it's have a good a job lot of orange, isn't it? Right? This is the, this, know, is the right? This, uh, this is the American prison orange. Actually, it this is, is the face it shirt. I'm, uh, in in Germany where I live, it's actually the color of uh, the dust dustman dustbin men workers, which is what uh, my missus fiance is always saying. It's like you look like a bloody binman. Oh God. <laughs> That is hilarious. We won't tell face it. They won't see it. It's all right. Yeah, they, they probably won't watch us. You're all good. So you were doing uh, contract computer work. Um, and yep. that's kind of interesting because computers has always been something that's been huge in your life. Video games have been kind of huge in your life. Um, I don't know if you've ever noticed this talking to pro players. Um, something that I've noticed having them both worked with them and being on my show is that there's almost a defining moment in their life where computers really are like video games take over, um, where it becomes this is yeah. the most important thing thing in my life and for most pro players that i've talked to is between like 14 and 17 those are like the years if you go and pull yeah. someone up i bet you they'd say this. did you have kind of a moment like that where you're like oh if i could if i could really do this for the rest of my life if i could playing video games was not something it was not realistic back no. then that is not that is not something that was even on the horizon but even thinking like i want to work in computers because i love this so much ah uh, i mean i that was that was the reason i went to university right i wanted to make computer games i wanted to be game developer that's that was what i wanted to be um as uh time went on and you were programming you realize maybe not i don't know i i still really like programming um i did it to an extent when i was working um in uh, in the head office in silly electrical factors i was i was a web developer kind of thing um and to that point it was more um problem solving i guess mm -hmm. is is where it was but um, which is why I like coding and stuff like that. You'd, you'd be in the bloody shower and you have your eureka moment and then pff, into work and pff, do it. 
Uh, but that was my original drive when I went to university, college. It was all about, I want to make computer games. Um, I've always been massively into computer games. And that's probably like, I can still, I know, I know when I wanted to be a commentator, um, that was, I used to play Battlefield 1942 to very high level, to in fact, the highest level, um, uh, for what became Dignitas. We, yeah. we created Dignitas time. And, um, we, at the end of the day, you could, it was 10 v 10 and we had like a team of about 20 to 25 people. Um, so, um, Bridger and Warwich came in to commentate one of our games. And at the time it was just like, what the fuck is this? Someone's commentating our game. What? Hey, what? Uh, obviously we were playing on clan base. It was back then, um, which doesn't exist anymore, but it was a, it was like a platform similar to, uh, sellers with tournaments, et cetera, the online tournaments, you'd go in a ladder system and then they'd have a cup and then you play it out and you play through the cup. And then, uh, the final came around and these guys came in and, and commentated it. And it was, uh, it was TSN back then. It was like a long time ago, uh, team sports gas network. Um, and it was, it was listening to that. It wasn't, wasn't video. It was all audio. Um, and just listening to it because I'd played the game so much that the way they'd commentated, I knew exactly what was happening. I'd be like, Oh, we're holding control point uh, A and B right now. They've got C. So we got the ticket damage. I mean, it's battlefield, right? Everybody knows what control points is in battlefield. Um, and they were talking about the players and stuff like that. And I, obviously I knew the tactic uh, because we, sat and practice them for hours and hours and hours and hours yeah. as you do when you're at that level um so hearing how it went and i was just like wow i know exactly what is going on here i fucking love this it's just like the way they're explaining it all and that's where i started my commentating i i then obviously went on to commentate all of our games because we couldn't always play it so whenever i wasn't playing i would commentate it so then my teammates and the other teams that were interested would listen to it and they'd know. Um, and it all came about from, I used to write these match reports. So Clanbase, uh, this, this website, you, you could obviously, A, you submit your scores and B, you'd submit uh, a match report. And I would submit the match report and I would basically, uh, again, ironic, back in my face of my school teacher, you'd lay down in English, uh, obviously, you know, what, what happened in the game. And I would, I would recall it and I'd be a boom, boom, boom. And that's what, something I've always had is to be able to, once I've watched a match, I can recall everything that just happened in it. So I'd be like, blah, 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 and put, the, put it all down. And everyone was like, oh, I fucking love these match reports. And it tells me exactly what happened in the game. It's like, and you put it across and you'd be truthful, obviously, with it. Yeah. And that's, that's you have to be with a caster. Um, and that's where it all came about. That's why my casting sort of really came. So it's where I basically made my love of it came through. And it was just like, oh my God, I want to do this. Um, obviously then, <laughs> you know, it was never a, I want to do this as my job. It was more just like, I fucking love doing this. And, that, and that's kind of like, I've never lost that passion of just casting. And like, yeah, I can do events as a bloody host or a, a match reporter, which I just did, but I'll always want to be the commentator. Like I, I, you know, I could probably take a lot more jobs as a host, or, but I always want to commentate it because I just fucking love doing it. Mm -hmm. That makes a lot of sense. So you look at, uh, when did this start? When did like the competitive, like you were playing competitively? Was that after university or during university or before? Ooh, it would be after it's after because it was, uh, two, 2001. I want to say, I think battlefield mm -hmm. 2001, 2002, somewhere around there. Um, it was pre EverQuest. <laughs> I can match my life by MMOs. It was, it was after Ultima online and pre EverQuest. And I know this because, um, 
uh, I, I'd obviously got to know Joe Miller at the time, another caster. Um, and I'd said to him during one of the big finals, I was like, I'm pre-warning you. There's this MMO coming out. I'm going to be playing it. I might disappear. <laughs> and that's what happens. Like an MMO, he's gone off the face of that planet. He's, he's disappeared down the fucking rabbit hole. So thank God MMOs sort of stopped coming out after WoW. That's true. <laughs> Just never been anything else after it. So I've actually been able to get a career. <laughs> hey, you could have been a professional WoW streamer then. Look at where you missed oh, no, out. Well, <laughs> I mean, they're doing all right for themselves, right? Some of those guys. But no, actually, I, I stopped WoW because it felt like I was I was doing a fucking second job. Uh, that's that's why I stopped it, right? And that's probably why a lot of people stopped WoW, right? You'd be, you'd go to work. I used to go to work 5.30 till 8.30, and 8.30 till 5.30, 8.30 a.m. till 5.30 p.m. So it was a long day's work. Get back. You'd cram your dinner down your throat, and they're like raids because uh, it was, you know, you guys don't get this. Ah, you, maybe you get it a little bit with time zones, but obviously in Europe, most of the time zones governed by Europeans. So they're like, yeah, we'll start the raid at seven p.m. Well, that's for us is six p.m. in the UK. It was so you'd finish work at five thirty, fucking mad dash home, get whatever food down you, some unhealthy shit that you just cram down within like 20 minutes and then oof, and you're ready to raid. And they'll be like, why are you not ready to raid? It's like, motherfuckers, you've had an extra hour. <laughs> you guys, it's 7 p.m. for you. But obviously then away you go. And it got to the point, it's like, what am I doing? Like, I feel like I'm working a second job. I'm, I'm coming home, I'm raiding for five to six hours and I've just worked for eight hours and you think I'm going to bed. And then you're just like, where's my life gone? Uh, so that's why I stopped. Wow. Many moons so ago. So that brings me an interesting question, and this kind of goes into like esports and everything. And uh, you mentioned now that you you have a fiance and you're you're yeah. you're getting married, which congratulations. Um, but that, how did you ever meet someone? I guess that's like, <laughs> did you ever have time to meet someone? Because I mean, casting, I already know from both pro gamers and casters, like your time allotment, especially early on, is gone. Like, yeah, it, I mean, it is. It is to an extent. Um, it, yeah, and actually, it's it's funny you say that because because actually, almost every caster I know is single, right? Um, you've got the exceptions of Anders, who's married with a kid, um, but outside of that, a lot of people now. I guess now that uh, we got it's, Trevor, it's Trevor a, Becker, a lot, uh, it's changing based on the leagues, right? It, the only reason it's changing is the ones that are leagues. So, for example, you've got League of Legends that are based in Berlin or Los Angeles. Or well, obviously they've got the other countries as yeah. well, but they are—they do not travel. That's where they are. Whereas you think Counter Strike, they are on the road all the fucking time. Like I know that um, you know Henry and Chad have just bought a, a place in Malta, and I sort of literally saw Henry saying, "It's like I might finally get to go to my house in Malta," like because they're on the road all of the time, so they have no chance of meeting anyone. You know. Literally laying down roots, but yeah, I've obviously I was at the lucky point that I did um, the first couple of seasons of League of Legends in in Cologne, and then they moved on to Berlin. I was like, I didn't really want to move on, uh, so I stayed in Cologne, worked for ESL. So I've obviously been uh, at a relative steady base for uh, what six years now. I've been in Cologne, I think, coming up six years. Yeah, well, six years in February. Shit, time flies by. Uh, which is obviously how you get to meet people, but yeah, the one. The casters that are doing, yeah, actually, I guess Dota's boat, right? Dota's probably traveling place as well. So those guys that are constantly on the road, it's it sounds great, and yeah, you get paid well for it, but it has 
negative sides of your non-stop on the road. Like I remember Sponge was living out of his suitcase for, well, in fact, he probably still is living out of his suitcase, living out of his suitcase until he got a place in Cologne and, but he still was barely ever there. So it's, it's, it's hard. It's, it, it's great when you're, when you're at the event, when things are happening, but when you sat in your hotel room on your own, it's not so fun. Or an airplane, <clears throat> like I, or well, I, or airport lounge or, yeah. Uh, well, airport lounges are not too bad because most people have got business class these days or whatever, or because they're bloody, uh, they've flown so much they can go in the business lounges. So it's not that bad. Um, yeah, depends who you're flying with. Yeah. So I, I imagine you weren't going out meeting a lot of people though, right? Like during those times? Like- no. Uh, it, you're literally in your bubble, right? That, yeah. that, everyone that you travel, actually, that's why I loved it. Like the first couple of seasons of League of Legends, Call of Duty was the same back, back in uh, 2004, 2005. Um, you had all of the teams and obviously they're always on the road. So we were doing MLGs, IPLs, IEMs. We were constantly on the road and it was always the same people. So you'd have the same casters, uh, the same players. So, and everybody, what are you got in common? Well, you're obviously the games that have just happened. So everybody sort of come together in the hotel bar and have a laugh basically. And that's how it was. Uh, we used to have a rule and it doesn't seem to apply anymore these days. Uh, there used to be a rule of, uh, never, ever ever have videos uh of those events <laughs> they're really? like the, in the bar yeah because a lot of times you know for example but not so much with the casters but the players are obviously sponsored by whatever yeah you know various sponsors so if they're drinking say the wrong energy drink or whatever because the bar doesn't have it whoo that's a big no-no so yeah so it used to be a, a quite strict sort of rule of nobody film shit um, more, to, more to just save everyone's career, really. <laughs> yeah, no, I mean, that makes sense. But kind of looking at that, what was early casting like? Like, if you had to kind of describe it now, I've heard stories of uh, CS and League of Legends, and they both sound like, uh, basically, it reminds me of when I was in a fraternity in college. Like, when I hear the stories, I'm like, wow, you basically had the same experience I did in college in this League of What was it like, though? Because that's, that's obviously retold stories and stuff like that. What was it like kind of growing up in that era? How do you mean wise? Like, as in, like, fangirls? Or... I've, I've heard that it is like being a rock star. I've heard that the partying was that, guess what? Everyone was partying every single night. Um, yeah. And I think that that has definitely changed now. Because, uh, yeah. like, when I was with Overwatch League, people were not, like, everyone was like, nope, later, go to sleep, go go yeah. home for that. And I was like, okay. Yeah, it was to an extent, especially... Um, Early days League of Legends was, especially all the players have just got fangirls around them all the time. Like, especially early days stuff, you know, when we, when we started the League Up and stuff, um, we did start to um, try and enforce as much as we can to, to you know, protect the players effectively yeah. from, yeah. from uh, money-grabbing people or, you know, blackmail situations, for example, with poor old Crepo, with Mitch. Um, you know, these situations that will arise because there's people out there that have got nefarious ideas that will try and uh, bring you down because you've got something that they want. So um, th- there definitely was uh, an element. We would try and keep, especially with League of Legends, we would try and keep our location as as a closely kept secret as we could. And it, it stayed that way for about a year, actually, until um, someone started saying uh, where the bar we used to go to and then suddenly start to get you know fans turning up afterwards and stuff like that. So that's when you'd start like, hey, this goes down. Um, and I guess the same with Counter-Strike, right? Obviously, uh, I wasn't around as much in the 1.6 days, but certainly the early CSGO sort of era, 
Um, obviously, the teams were starting to get more and more popular. Um, so you'd have to start keeping... It generally would be hotel bars, right? Because CSGO was traveling so much. Um, you, you, you may know the town, so you may know somebody maybe from that city. You know, we're in Poland. Uh, the Polish guys take you to whatever bar or stuff like that or um, stuff like that. But yeah, you'd still always stay as a, as a close-knit group because you were always... You know that they were the people yeah. you knew. Yeah, that <laughs> so, makes sense. And that, that, yes, there would be a lot of uh, stories that c- would come out of there, um, and I no doubt there still probably is, even though the guys are on. You know, I don't know whether they still do it. I know for a fact League of Legends isn't the same anymore because I've speak to a lot of the guys that obviously I knew back then as players, like the, the close knit of, of mm-hmm. the party, and we'd always go to one bar. Now it's just like psh, everyone back to the gaming houses. Um, America, as far as I'm aware, Los Angeles. Uh, league never had it that way because obviously in America it's 21 drinking age etc yeah. like that whereas in Europe it's obviously a lot looser it's 18 plus etc um, and looser than that half the time um, so so there would be more parties for I guess the younger players um, but I think a lot of them have got not only not only grown up and you know obviously the, the locations changed so uh, the teams don't go together so much because they've all got their own gaming houses but I think they just got more professional. I think it's, it's simply a case of like, it was great fun. Don't get me wrong. It was absolutely great fun. I absolutely loved it. But I think um, for the sport to naturally progress, it had yeah. to get more professional. You think of footballers, you think of the NBA guys, the, you know, the, the, the NBA guys, those guys are always on the road, right? Mm-hmm. They're not partying all the time because they, they can't, you know, they physically can't because it will affect you physically uh, and mentally, which is... Yeah probably where most of the computer games wise is, you know, if you, if you become a drunk in the team, you're going to get kicked. Yeah. <laughs> Simple yeah. as that. Yeah. So <clears throat> kind of, kind of looking at League of Legends, cause that was, uh, that was probably the thing that really solidified you full-time into esports, right? Cause that was the, that was the job where you got that and you're like, okay, I'm quitting my job. This is enough. I can do this. They offered me something full-time. Um, I've had, uh, like pyrotechnics on here and he talked a little bit. I've had Foxdrop on here. Who's talked about, uh, different things related to league of legends and he's a freelancer, but at that time it wasn't freelancing. Wasn't really a thing. Um, you didn't really see freelance casters coming in and out. And one of the things that I've, uh, kind of asked people is like, what is riot like, right? Like what is right like back then versus now and it's kind of a touchy subject but pyrotechnics even came on one time and said they have a gilded cage right and what he said about it is you are stuck in that cage but they pay it has nice pillows in it it's got it's got <laughs> nice things so it is a cage so what what is right like for me because you obviously left to to go to csgo what was riot like as like your employer um well i mean to start with they were the ones that got me as as full-time casting right yeah. so the good side. And honestly, it, it's Riot are one of those companies you were either in Riot right? That's mm-hmm. that's how it has been. Um, I was lucky enough to know them from the very beginning because uh, as I go back to the start, I was talking about World Cyber Games. The 2010 in Los Angeles was their first tournament and it was uh, nations-wise. So it was America versus Europe, I think it was, or America versus Germany, um, the finals when uh, I actually can't even remember who won. I think it might have been Germany, uh, but that was like Hotshot GG and Elements and all that lot. They were playing for the North American team. Obviously, they were streaming stars at the time. But, but yeah, that was that was when Riot were twenty people, I think. Now, uh, then they were, and now they're what two and a half, three, four thousand people now employees. If not very, more, very different more. times. Um, 
And uh, it got to the point back then I was doing all the events I went to. Yeah, I was getting paid to do them, but I was still working full time as a web dev. Um, so I would basically be taking time off work. Um, and I was using all my holiday days up. And it got to the point, I think it was the season two world championships came around. And then Wayland's like, hey, we want you for the, the world finals. I was like, fucking great. This is amazing. Yeah. Yeah. It's going to be two weeks in Los Angeles. I was like, shit, I've got like three or four days left of holiday. Um, luckily, uh, obviously the people I worked for, they were very understanding. And my brother was my boss kind of thing at the time. And I just said, look, my God, I need to do this. It's like I was earning more. Uh, and a weekend in bloody doing an MLG or an IPL or IEM or whatever, then it would be a month doing work. So it's just like, I have to follow this. This is, this is like, this is, this is A, what I've always wanted to do, and B, kind of earns me more money. <laughs> um, so I ended up, I, I think I tweeted out at the time, I was like, I need to make it stop casting completely or I quit my job. Uh, and that's when Waylon reached out to me and said, hey, how's about we have a discussion? And uh, that's where the contract negotiations began. Uh, it wasn't much negotiations. It was more like, yes, please. <laughs> negotiations when Riot offered me a job. And I was kind of a contractor for the first year with them because uh, it was the LCS was kind of brewing. Mm-hmm. Um, I think they employed me, God, it was like October, November time. And the LCS didn't even begin till February. So, you know, they paid my wage for a good four months before the league was even beginning, but they were obviously, it was in the planning stages. Um, and it was very different, uh, honestly, because I'd obviously worked with them for, God, probably about a year, year and a half as an external talent for doing all the MLGs and all these external events. And it was, even then I'd noticed it was very much really either on the inside or you're on the outside. Um, and that's really what the company's about. And obviously they're getting a lot of press at the moment. Um, and actually I know a lot of people are doing the walkouts and I know people, uh, I'm pretty sure I know one of the guys that have been, uh, was fired and is in the litigation or whatever the hell it is going on right now. Um, and, and it is, uh, I can see what a lot of the, the fraternity type, uh, comparisons are coming from. It was kind of like that. It was, it was basically, a, a a big frat house. Um, but it was enjoyable. Honestly, yeah. it was like, well, I, uh, it was an enjoyable time. And that it's just, it's, it's a very weird company to explain because I'd worked for a private limited company, which was very much an internal company. So I could understand the, uh, the secrecy side of things. And, you know, that they'd had so many, um, problems where, at the time when after I joined, where they'd had everyone was riot blah 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 on Twitter, and they were gaining all these followers, and they were like, "Yeah, I'm a rioter." Whoa! And there was all sorts of fucking leaks coming out of like some champion or some skin or some stuff. So, so the ship had to be fucking closed. It had to be uh, because at the end of the day, they're a game company. Like that is their bread and butter. And um, the the classic was the um, what was the bloody. What was the the map that was supposed to come out that never came out? I can't remember what it was called, um, but it was like second map, whatever. It got it got bloody leaked, and then obviously everybody has our high expectations. Like, oh, this is coming out, great, we're gonna have something else other than someone is rift, blah, blah blah. And obviously, then you're setting yourself up to fail, and that was the problem, which is why a lot of it became you're either inside or you're out because there was this wall of secrecy that had to exist and it still does to an extent because obviously everything that's coming you know i know for a fact they've had um 
you know, other games in development that have just never seen the light of day because it's not uh, meeting their the quality, basically, of the game they want. You know, they, they got lucky. And actually, if anyone that played League of Legends at the start, it was a piece of shit. Um, there was, it was a fun, addictive game. But my God, there were some fucking bugs in that game. Like, you know, you'd have Evelyn walking around with fo- uh, five bloody, um, what was the bloody armor on? The Sunfire Cape? Is it Sunfire oh, yeah, Cape? Yeah, yeah. Sunfire it? Five Sunfire Capes, because you'd have, what, a minute 30 stealth back then? Uh, so you'd have boots and five Sunfire Capes and just stand next to you. And you'd just burn and die. And you'd be like, what just killed me? I had no idea. Just, like things like that. There were so many bugs back then. Um, the, but you know what? It was a bloody great game and it stuck. And uh, obviously they, they got very lucky with the game that came out. And they've had these expectations that everybody expects their game to live up to. And it's, uh, which is why, you know, a lot of these stories come out because they have had this uh, veil of secrecy. But, but I guess. I get. I don't know, but I guess it must be similar, you know, with Blizzard or whatever company you're at. These these massive companies that have these huge expectations on them. Um, you know, you're all signed under NDAs. If if someone leaks something, then it's their own stupid fault. But it's why that they have to have this uh, very internalized structure. Um, it's effectively you're in a big team, right? You can't. Yeah. You, you have to talk to everyone in that team. You can't, you have friends outside of it, but you can't talk to them about whatever. You know, it's like a teammate, right? You have two team, you'll have two rival teammates. They'll talk about the game, but they can't talk about the tactics. And it's, it's a similar type of deal, right? It's, that's what it is. Yeah. So it's, uh, uh, but, but I, you know, I totally understand. And it was, it was like a frat house and it, but it was fun. It was fun at the time. But, uh, obviously when I read about a lot of the stories that came out with Kotaku's stories and stuff, I could, Probably, I was like, eh, okay, um, I, c- I can see where they're coming from with some of it. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah, and I, like I, I'm obviously sitting on the outside, and that, that's why, I like, hearing yeah. someone who was actually there and like what it was like is kind of good. But you actually didn't, you didn't stay at Riot too, too long. You stayed at them a fair amount of time. Um, yeah, but then, I was like three years. Yeah, I think yeah. it was three. Um, and then you decide that okay, I'm uh, Riot is moving. Um, they're not going to be in Cologne anymore. They're moving to uh, Berlin. If I yeah. got those places right, and you're like, I don't, I don't want to do this anymore. Um, CS:GO was starting to come up, um, and ESL, I'm assuming, had an offer out there for you. Um, one of the things that I had heard though is like the primary reason that you decided to to stay had a lot to do with the fact that you were um, in love with someone and you didn't want to leave them. Yeah, that is that is something that that I had heard, which is I think fairly reasonable. Uh, yeah, because, like I've been dating my girlfriend for five years now, and like we've had long conversations about okay, we what type of jobs am I willing to accept? Like if it's in the United States, you can you can take a flight, um, and it's expensive, but if it's in Europe, right? That flight is no longer. We can do this once a month because it's just too expensive. Yeah, long distance just doesn't work really. But well, it does to an extent. But yeah, there, I don't know. There was a lot of reasons, right, at the time. Um, uh, the first one was, I wasn't really very happy with the direction that casting was kind of being forced into. What, um, what do you mean? So we were kind of, we, we couldn't say some things, right? So if there was like a clear bug in the fucking game or something happened, you're like, well, shit, that was a bug. You couldn't say anything like that. You'd, you'd have to glaze over it, which, which often we will do as casters anyway. Um, uh, even when we were not told to and stuff like that. But, you know, it wasn't too that strict a deal, but it was also um, a big problem I had was that America basically had all the resources 
and Europe had nothing um, at the time. And, you know, we'd have a stats guy. Well, that's great. He's based in New York. You want a stat? Okay, wait five hours for him to fucking respond. Maybe you'll get it overnight. Oh, it's not worked out properly, stuff like that. Whereas, you know, I, I'd speak to the NA guys and they didn't have any of these problems because everything was their fault. Um, and it was in part down to the fact that they'd obviously decided a long time before they'd announced it to us that they were moving from Cologne to Berlin. So therefore they weren't willing to commit resources to uh, being in Cologne. It was all going to Berlin. And from what I can tell now, it's absolutely brilliant. You know, like every, they have, they're not wanting for anything in the, uh, the Berlin studio, which is great to hear, you know, everything. And actually, if you look at the production, you can tell it's, it's like, smooth as if anything i would say europe's probably better than uh, the north american production right now um they're absolutely killing it so that's you know a credit to uh to trevor and the guys that have you know stuck it out and been there for a very long time um there, there was a lot of reasons like i ate like i say i wasn't really happy with it it wasn't a case of i was going to go that was that was very much an afterthought after i joined esl um the there was a couple of things. Yes, um, I was dating Lauren at the time. Um, turned out I broke up with her well, about three months after. I decided to uh, to leave, which, you know, in hindsight, sure, you probably I probably would have stuck it out. But if I'd have stayed with Riot and moved to Berlin, uh, would I have then maybe blamed the job on a breakup and shit like that, which maybe would have affected the casting anyway? I don't know. You know, hindsight's great. You can always look at things and say, oh, you know, I wouldn't have done it this way. I wouldn't have done it this way. It don't matter. Um, yeah. It's turned out to be, you know, a path that, that set me down where I am now, you know, loving life and uh, with a new fiance and all this stuff. So it's, there were, there was, there were so many different things that were going on that time. I just, I don't know, for whatever reason, I wasn't, in, I, I was not happy with how it was going. Um, so if I'd have stayed, Sure, financially, I probably would have been better off. Um, almost certainly would have been better off. There's no doubt about that. Um, but would I have been as happy? I have no clue. I've no clue. Uh, but again, it's 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 really hard to uh, tell. It's it's something that obviously gone through in my mind a lot of times. Um, and I I did actually have uh, interviews to go back. Um, poor. When was After it? ESL, right? It was like, like partway through was, uh, CSGO 2016. It was, you... it was while I was at ESL at some point, yeah. Um, and it just, they just didn't turn out. They just didn't pan out the same way. But, uh, but yeah, when I left, it, it was more a case of like, I could stay in Cologne. I can still commentate. And obviously for me, um, it wasn't like, because I'd cast so many other games anyway. It wasn't the be all and end all to be like, I must cast League of Legends or my career is doomed. Um, it was like, well, I can always just learn another game. Yeah. Um, I can always, it, like, for me, it's always had to be a game that I've enjoyed. That's the main thing for me. Um, and that was the hardest part. I would like leaving a game that I absolutely fucking love. Um, because again, you're either in or you're out. And as soon as you're out, you are fucking out. Um, and that was that. Um, I know at the time we were hopeful uh, of casting uh, the LPL. Uh, ESL were in a bid for trying to cast the LPL. So it would have actually been me and Joe casting the LPL, which would have been fucking great. Um, because the Chinese league obviously was very aggressive sort of stuff back then. Um, I think they ended up going, it was ESL still, but it was Australia that had it instead. Uh, it would have probably been really fucking like cast, honestly, from Europe. Uh, and it would have been like morning casting. It would have been a bit weird, but uh, that fell through. So um, so it wasn't a case of like, I left to like, I'm going to go cast Counter-Strike. It wasn't anything like that. It was just like, while I was there, there wasn't much. And I was just like, why don't I give it a go? 
I, I used to guess 1.6. Let, why don't we have a look at it? Um, so that's when I moved on to CSGO. Yeah, so looking at CSGO, the stuff that I had uh, kind of looked at, it seems like there was a lot of ups and downs with CSGO. Uh, mm. There was like good moments, but then there was moments where the community just seemed to hate on you uh, <laughs> for like... It, it basically it seemed like a lot of people were like, "Oh, he's just coming in here for the money," which I don't I don't think is true um, at all. Uh, yeah, because I had a lot less money. <laughs> yeah, but then again, they never knew that. So they, yeah, they wouldn't I mean, know. They, yeah, they just um, with Counter Strike, it was I don't know. It's it was a tricky one, right? So for me, the the main problem, and it's something I've absolutely made sure did not happen with PUBG, um, because another game that I loved is. I came into it not as a community person, yeah. but as a known caster. So you've got to come in at grassroots for me. Like, it, no matter who the fuck you are, if you're going to cast a game, you need to put the fucking hours in, in the community, grind the hell out of it. So that way, you know, all the lower level players that may well come through stars in the past and then suddenly it's all in your head you're like oh i remember this guy playing in the monthly cup in esl for this thing and stuff like that and that never happened with counter-strike uh partly my own fault partly probably ego at the time i don't because i'd come in from um obviously league of legends and i was at esl and yeah we're a tier tier one caster we want you doing this stuff and it was me it was me that approached carmack and said I want to cast Counter-Strike. Like, uh, next I am, Katowice, I don't want to do League of Legends, I want to do Counter-Strike because I want to send a message to Counter-Strike community that my game is on, but I'm not casting that, I'm casting your game because this is what I want to do. Mm-hmm. Didn't come across that way, didn't work out, but, you know, that, that was my original plan. Um, I think a lot of the failure, certainly with my casting, I mean, I enjoyed casting at the time, but a lot of it, I think certainly from a community point of view uh, was obviously the fact that I was always splitting up Anderson Semler. I was always being forced in there of, I mean, I'm alongside Semler or I'm alongside Anders. So I was the guy that was always getting being put in there to split them up, which is like, obviously That's a bad a spot terrible, to be. It's a terrible way to terrible spot to be in. But I was like, you're our representative for our company. So therefore you're casting final X. And it was just like, eh, uh, whereas it should have been, you know, I should have been there, you know, whatever, cast the semifinal and let those guys do the. F- That's obviously, you know, we're a, a company as the way it was. You always wanted a representative of your own guy there casting it. Um, obviously, it's changed now, you know, obviously that, that was the old style. Nowadays, you see Henry and Sadikus doing it and stuff like that and doing a bloody great job of it. Um, but that's what it was back at the time. Obviously, back then it was, you know, Anderson Semler were the be-all and end-all of, of Counter-Strike because, again, they'd come through the community. They'd done all the DreamHacks. While DreamHack was on, they were doing the community streams and stuff like that. So they'd built that fan base up. And that's that's really the best way to do it. You think of any all the big casters out there, you know, dedicated to that one game or whatever, they've all done that community. They've all been there. Think of Toby Wan for Dota, right? Just how many hours did that guy put in doing those random cups through the night he would he would sleep under the caster desk and that's like that's how he got the community favor and that's how it worked out you know he's a great caster you can be the greatest caster in the world but if you haven't got the community behind you yeah don't mean shit (laughs) 
So kind of looking at CSGO, you, you, 2016 comes around. What makes you think, I want to work back at Riot? Was things just not working out well at ESL? Were you like, this is popping off, I want to get in on this? Because um, you obviously went and you you tried, you did some interviews, and I remember uh, watching an interview where you're like, I did like 24 different interviews in two yep. days, which is fucking insane. I would like to point out that that... That is crazy, um, and it didn't really work out. So, what was what was the reason for getting in there, and why didn't you get it? Because you were known as probably one of the biggest names in League of Legends. So, uh, the biggest problem, and, and you know, the fact is that if you leave right, you're out. Like this is going back to the whole right thing, right? You're in or out. I don't think they'd had, and they maybe have now. I don't know, but they didn't. They've never had a return employee. Let's put it that way. Which is why you know we had this 24 interviews. I to- I totally understood it. And it was like 30 minute, uh, interview. So you do 12 a day. So yeah. you're literally doing it through lunch through from the morning on, you are interviewing all day long. Like you, it's just, it's walk and talks, walk and talks, all this stuff, sit in the room, do this, go and have lunch, but you're talking with this, whatever else, you know, so it'd be with not only the casters you're interviewing with, but obviously producers, um, directors, TDs, every, everyone involved within it. Um, so it was a rigorous process for that reason. Um, the reason I went there was, uh, was a, yeah, like I said, you know, it wasn't going great with Counter-Strike. Um, the community is not so friendly. Um, it's probably the best, best term I could put it. And, you know, I didn't have a casting partner. I just didn't have a casting partner in Counter-Strike, you know, so I wasn't really in a happy place because I, again, I was always in this position being put in. Like, I don't want that. I don't want to be in this position where I'm here because of, because of who I am, not what I've done sort of thing. Um, you know, so it was that situation. So I just like, you know what? Uh, and it was also the time when, when they were expanding because they were yeah. moving to, was it three days a week? And they were, they were having the double stream, right? They were having the double stream. So they needed more people. So I was just like, you know what? Um, they'd kind of thrown a, 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 a toe in the water as it were to say, yeah, okay. And they were like, yeah, let's bring you along. So I went along and it didn't quite work out. There was, it don't, it, absolutely everybody to say yes, which I totally understood because it was all the people you're working with. And I think it was three that said no. Okay. Um, so, which I totally understood with, with, with one of them, but I have no clue on the other two why they said no, but there we go. Okay. Uh, one of them, I'd have, I'd have been a, a straight up rival. So it's, oh. it's understandable. They'd say no, because you'd be like, all right, I don't want this guy coming in because he's going to take my shit. <laughs> oh, that's, I don't know. I, I mean, I guess I understand it. So we we kind of talked a little bit about the League of Legends and then going back there and like the whole roundup of uh, trying to reapply and it just not working out. Um, one of the things that I thought was cool, and I didn't really know this because I wasn't involved in Overwatch at the time, is that you were actually doing work uh, with uh, Overwatch pre-franchising. Hmm. And yes, you, actually, no, I, you, you worked with some cool people because you, you obviously w- worked with Mitch, who I got to meet yeah. and talk with and have talked with a lot. Um, and I remember talking to him, him saying like working underneath like you was something that was great for his career that helped like teach him a lot of things. And so what was Overwatch like? Because that was a game that you actually really enjoyed. Yeah. So I, that was actually where I moved on to after Counter-Strike, right? Um, <laughs> how much of a dick do I want to be? A big um, one. Mm, uh, clickbait or not to clickbait. Uh, we'll, we'll, we'll keep it normal. Um but yes, um, let's put it, yeah. So basically, you know, I actually really enjoyed it. Like you say, I, I, somewhat to surprise me, Mitch and, uh, and Jason had been doing uh, like a YouTube series with it and they'd been getting to know it uh, throughout the, the beta and stuff and they'd been casting a lot of stuff with that. And I was like, all right, I want to give it a go. And I quite enjoyed it. 
And I played it with like a lot of friends and subs and we had a fucking great time. It was really good game. It was like six, you know, six men piling in there. Um, so we, we started to cast it. We started to do like monthly cups, ESL cups and stuff like that. Uh, we didn't have a lot of the coverage because of ZP was doing it with, um, Gosu Gaming at the time. So he was getting a lot of the main teams, but then ESL had the Atlantic showdown. ESL, the, the Atlantic showdown, which we did. And uh, myself, Jason, and Mitch, we ended up casting Europe and North America. Uh, so we'd have, you know, uh, whatever day is doing Europe. And in North America, we'd be casting through the fucking night. Um, so we'd be there till, pff, I don't know, 6 a.m. Casting, casting through the night, doing that, which led to a Gamescom finals. Yeah, but I absolutely loved casting that. And that, it was basically Jason and myself that would cast with Mitch uh, in Maine uh, as, as the main partners. And I went to the, obviously, we did the first World Cup, the uh, Overwatch World Cup in uh, BlizzCon. And I was casting with Mitch for that. It was me and Mitch casting that. Uh, Monty Doa, obviously, who I've known for years, um, had come over from that side. And uh, Mr. X was casting with... Who was he casting with? Uh, I can't even remember. Who was he casting with? There were six of us casting, right? It wasn't Jason, because Jason never went... I can't think who the heck he was casting with. Mr. S was casting with somebody else. Um, and oh, he was casting with ZP. Of course he was. He was casting with ZP. Um, so yeah, so that was, that was like the, the thing. And then uh, November came around. Obviously, that was in October. The World Cup is, BlizzCon is, October, November time. And that's when the, the, the first talks of the Overwatch World Cup were coming around. So we were like, oh, we're talking about it. Like, oh, this could be cool. Going into casting a league and all this lot. Yeah, yeah. Pretty, pretty fun. And then um, DreamHack came around and Blizzard were basically picking the parents. And suddenly it was Uber and Mr. X. And we were like, what the fuck? Uh, we've been casting together for all for ages. Uh, me, Mitch, and Jason were like, suddenly, why are we not casting with Mitch anymore? Why is this pairing suddenly happened? Um, so that was obviously Blizzard and actually MLG uh, starting to put their paw on it and dictating who the pairs were. So suddenly I wasn't casting. I did, and then that was it. I wasn't even picked for Overwatch. I was just like, and, and to this day, nobody ever explained why or what happened or why I was suddenly wasn't casting it. I, that um, was going to be my next question. Did you have any sort of talks or interviews or anything with Blizzard? Zero feedback whatsoever. Not a thing. Uh, literally no clue. So it was just like, all right, well, okay, that happened. Um, so don't know why, why, what, or what happened. No clue. No clue at all. Um, it turned out to be... Yeah, pretty good at the time because I ended up casting FIFA at Dreamhack. Yeah, FIFA. Um, and that then led to doing, uh, you know, like a world tour with FIFA, which was, uh, which was pretty awesome. <laughs> so, so, uh, but yeah, that was, that was my Overwatch thing. It literally was like a, almost a year. And that was that, boom, done. Just like over, no, no clue why. <laughs> that brings me to an interesting question because you're really big into Call of Duty. And that was one of the games you actually casted before League of Legends was Call of Duty. And recently, yeah. uh, Activision, who runs Blizzard and is a, Interesting company, um, to say the least. Uh, interesting is, if I ever say something is interesting, most of the time it's like, not good. So, but take that for what it is. They're an interesting company. And so they're, they just announced that they have a franchising league for Call of Duty. Would you work that if they came to you? Call of Duty? No, I, I've, no. I've, not, I've not been involved with the, uh, the, the console side of things ever. I've never really have. I was always, it was a PC. It was PC that I did. So I never really moved, made that move. Um, I mean, I, I would probably enjoy it. I don't know. Um, I've just never really got into it. So 
Therefore, I've never been, again, we're going back to the community thing. Like, I've never been involved in the community. So it's suddenly be like, this guy has suddenly come out of nowhere being forced into it. Uh, you know, I, I, I got on really well with Momo that's doing it for Phil. Um, I cast a bunch of stuff with Phil for various games as well. Uh, we've had a, a fun doing Crossfire, uh, another one of the games that's like really big in the East, not big in the West. It's actually the, one of the world's biggest FPS games out in the world. Um, but you'd never know it <laughs> from the European side. It's just massive in China. The, the only reason I know about that is because when I had Susie Kim on the show, she mentioned uh, that yeah. she actually uh, did some casting for Crossfire, even though she was like, yeah. I am not qualified at all, but they're having me come up here and do this. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, so. she cast, uh, I think it was like 2017 or 2016. So she, she did like one of the world finals, I remember, because her brother was there as well. Uh, Josh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. So, so kind of looking at, you were in FIFA for a while and you did that. Did you ever think about staying with FIFA? <laughs> not a choice. Uh, not a choice. That's the way the world is these days. Uh, it's not like the old days where uh, you stay loyal with someone for ages. They, uh, uh, you get cut without any notice. Um, I did FIFA for four or five years, the World Cup finals, the World Finals they did. Um, I did it in Munich, was like out of nowhere when it had zero budget. Um, then we did New York and the budget was starting to grow and you suddenly realized that we ended up doing uh, finals on either ESPN or Fox. Uh, we actually ended up having a really good final and they absolutely loved it. Uh, then um, uh, EA started to get more involved. So, so with FIFA, there's two ways, right? There's EA and there's FIFA. And there's always this because FIFA have their tournament and EA have their tournament and they're kind of like, as is better than yours, as is better than yours. It's kind of like this thing going on. Um, so it used to be the FIFA tournament, which is the E World Cup um, or E Club Cup and E World Cup and E Nations Cup or whatever they call it. God awful names. Um, but they, they were the tournaments they'd run. And then come along in 2000 and on either 16 or 17 or 18, I'm not sure when. What are we in? We're in 19 now, so it'd be two years ago. So yeah, 17, FIFA 17. Um, was an EA were like, right, we're going to run our tournament. Uh, they brought on uh, their own esports team and they got the their sort of crew together with Brent Koenig as, at the helm as the commissioner, that, which they've now got, you know, Matt, uh, um, da da Murillo, whatever his bloody name is. I can't remember his, his actual name. I can, <laughs> I can only use his nickname. But he's doing the, 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 the John Madden side and stuff like that. So EA have all got these uh, EA commissioners running their things. But yeah, he came on and that's when we did this tour of, um, we did Paris, Sydney, and Miami within three weeks of each other. Like bump, bump, bump. It was bonkers schedule. Um, and then we had uh, a thing in Whistler, which was fucking amazing. And then we did the finals in London. Uh, roll on the next year. Suddenly, uh, the two young lads had come in, Brandon and Richard, and suddenly it was like, yeah, bye-bye. Too old, too old, not, not, a, not what the word was, not the right culture fit. Uh, yeah, too old, too old, uh, too white, I believe is also the phrase that got uh, thrown at me. I was like, oh, I didn't know that was a thing now. Um, but that's, that's the thing, right? Because you're not a commentator anymore. You're not just a commentator. You're a host. You're the face. You're the everything. So it's not like, it's not about how good a commentator you are uh, in some of these things anymore. It's whether you're the right, uh, right fit for the, you know, your viewing thing. And it, let's face it, I am old. Like, there's no doubt about it. And the majority of FIFA players are youngsters, so they want a younger face, which is I'm, I'm perfectly fine with. Brandon Richard do a, a fucking great job. So uh, I've got no qualms with those boys. 
That's fair. That's fair. I, I think that's that that is a, that's, that's yeah. a pretty shitty uh, reason, but I mean, I well, don't know. So, I mean, like, obviously, I've been around from the very start, you know, that there's no such thing as bloody, you know, whether you're the right color, whether yeah. you're the right bloody sex, whether you're the thing, like, we, you know, are you the right gender for the job? I think, like, none of existed it's just like can you commentate this game yes fucking great because we've been looking for someone for ages um and now it's very much the the whole esports industry is very much changed from what it was back then you know it's it's become what we always wanted uh but it's also moved away from what we always it's it's not um you know are you the best for the job uh it's more like uh we've got too many males doing this so we need a female We've got too many white guys. We need a Hispanic or an Asian or a black guy. You know, that's what it's kind of becoming now. Um, uh, what's the word I'm after? Uh, the right... Um, diversity. Diversity. That's the, that's the bloody word. Diversity. You've got to have a diverse cast lineup. And actually, you know, even if you, if you just look at some of the, uh, the Twitter comments on mm-hmm. any of the uh, talent announcements, it is an actual real thing now. Like, people would be like, why is there like... Why is there eight white dudes doing this? Like, and it's suddenly, and in you know, diversity has become a thing. It's just that that is that is life in 2019, right? Um, we've moved on. We're not we're not just guys in a basement anymore. We've we're now like in the limelight, uh, you know, on whatever sports channels and stuff like that. So it's become a, a real deal. But sadly, it's it's also not good for us all the all the types. <laughs> Fair. So looking at like PUBG, what made you want to get into PUBG? I remember playing PUBG when it like first came out. It's a great, it was a great game. Um, I enjoyed it. I wasn't sure if there would ever be an esports scene for it, like realistically. Yeah. Like, cause I mean, when it first came out, it was just after like H1, like Z1 was out and then like H1Z1 yeah. was having issues. And so like you're playing it and you're like, is it in your head when it first comes out? Ooh, this is the game that I'm going to be casting. So uh, quite a bit of history with this one. Um, I've known uh, Brendan, aka Player Unknown, for probably about four—I don't know, maybe five years now. Um, I first met him when I did uh, TwitchCon, the very first TwitchCon with H1Z1. It was the H1Z1 Invitational at TwitchCon, um, and he was obviously that was his—that was his baby. Uh, I'd known him before that as well from the armor days. Um, I obviously had his modding armor, so I knew him from that sort of side of things, and I, it was. It was a weird old thing that like I was watching lyric stream and he was, uh, he was playing the game and he wanted to get like a, so he could spectate after he died. So I put him into contact with Brendan and, and stuff like that. So there's been a, it's like a weird history that we've had. Um, so I did H1Z on with him. Turns out we're pretty much the same age, right? We're, we're both, you know, 40 plus guys now. Um, and we were at TwitchCon and we were basically like, neither of us really fit. <laughs> <laughs> we were two old guys so we ended up going out for dinner a bunch of times you know and just we, we just wanted to enjoy life and we were just like we were in san francisco let's let's try and have a you know go for a, a whatever food and we, we that's how we got on well there um and obviously you know he he sold up um or was bought out of his h1z1 contract and he, he took his money and went to korea um and i was doing iem korea which actually was there you know going back to the stuff um and i i invited him along to come along and watch it because he was like oh are you guys there and i was like come along i'll get you in the ticket no problem um so he came along and had a night out and it was funny because uh, at the time uh pubg was only really i think it was in closed alpha i think it was at the time and he was just like anyone want to play and obviously it was 
it was like all the StarCraft commentators, a couple of League of Legends guys, you know, uh, and, and, and us Overwatch guys, we were all there. Everyone was having Korean barbecue, as everyone does in esports. Mm-hmm. Um, and he was just like, anyone want a key in or a key? And nobody was really interested in the thing. Well, but I was chatting away with him and like, and it was funny because like literally a month later, everyone was like, do you think you could get a key off him? Do you think you could get a key off him? Because it was starting to blow up, right? It's just started thinking, well, but I was just like, sure, I'll try and get all of him. But he's pretty busy right now because obviously the game just took off yeah. um, it, when, it, when it hit a beta phase and it just went poof, ballistic. So that's where I'd, got, I'd known him from. And uh, yeah, I, and I understand where you're from an esports perspective, the game was very rusty. Like, it didn't have yeah. custom lobbies. You know, it, you only need to look at the, the path that Apex is on right now. I was just right? going to say the same thing. It's very much like what Apex thing, is. Right? You know, actually, Fortnite as well. Um, no custom lobbies. You know, the spec mode was really janky. And it's that's been, uh, you know, what, two years in the making, the spec mode has to get it where it is with Tracer Fire and yep. uh, all the stats. And, you know, the different um, damage comes with different colors. So, you know, they're being shot by this team or this team or this team. So, you know, it's been such a long uh, path. But PUBG, uh, the developers and the, the, the feedback that's been going between uh, the Observer teams like Ansvar and co, you know, giving them feedback on what we need and, uh, and listening to the casters, they've been really good Like uh, to take the feedback and then come back with a better idea of what we've given them feedback on. Like, We'd say, oh, we could do with this. And then they come back and bring some sort of awesome sort of new bits into it. Like, oh, every time, every time we get to a new tournament, we've got an client, we're like, oh, this is great. It's got these new bits. Um, so it has been a long time in coming. Like, obviously, we had, you know, minimalistic tournaments and really minimal tournaments. Because let's face it, you know, who could afford to put 64 guys on a stage at once? It's, you know, yeah. it's a big outlay of money. You know, if I think back to how it was back in the Battlefield days, it was like Mission Impossible. It was for... 10v10, everyone was like, forget it. It's got to be 4v4 or 5v5. That's that's the future of esports. Um, so to get to the stage where we've got, you know, 60, 100 plus people or whatever on stage these days is absolutely bonkers. And for the league to roll out, I'm really impressed. Like the fact that they've come out with this big plan of like a couple of years plan for PUBG. Uh, I'm really interested to see a how long it could last and it we're obviously seeing we're seeing from viewership yeah it started off small but it is growing it's clearly growing especially after the face it um global summit there's it's clearly it's put it on the map we've had some of these amazing moments that suddenly everyone's like oh shit this actually is good fun to watch uh because the biggest challenge with PUBG for me um you know to take it from a a player's perspective to a, a, a spectator perspective is you don't have and you still don't to an extent it's something we're still working on you don't have that uh intensity of you know when you just start playing you've landed i need to find a gun i need to think oh my god there's somebody else in the town shit somebody else has dropped by us you know that that intensity you have as a player when you're playing the games you still don't really have it as uh when you're spectating because we just have all the information at hand so it's still something it's still a work in progress you know there's still there's still stuff there to try and try and hype the game up uh more in those situations but it's funny because casting-wise, I actually find it very similar to League of Legends casting-wise because you have uh, almost the lane phase, right? You have the mm-hmm. slow build-up when they're, they're all getting their equipment. That's your lane phase right there. So you've got this slow build-up, a lot of fill, uh, and it all builds up to these smaller fights, smaller fights, smaller fights, and then you have these big crazy fights coming into phase five, six, seven, which is literally League of Legends in a nutshell. Yeah. You will have the slow lane build-up. You'll maybe get a couple of excursions when the, uh, when the jungler comes in and gank in the middle or quick gank on the one of the lanes 
And then they'll group up. They'll have maybe a dragon fight. They'll back away, back away, back away. And then it'll build up to these big fight. And then it's all over and they'll get Baron of the win. It's literally the same sort of style, you know, the same uh, level of casting. I think it works for it. So, uh, which is actually probably why I've slipped into it so easily. Um, but it's, it's such a good game. Like it's, it is uh, actually now that the, the patches that they've come up with, it's got better and better and better, which is, it, it's funny because I, I can relate it to League of Legends, right? League of Legends was a piece of shit when it came out. It was fun yeah. to play, but my God, it had a lot of bugs. And like anyone that was around in the start, the beta, the early days, know exactly the same. And it's just, it took a long time to get it. CSGO was a piece of shit when it came out. It really Overwatch. was. And it, and it, yeah, yeah, Overwatch. So, but, but CSGO took two years to get actually yeah. to where it like a decent playable level. Like when it came out, all the pro players was just like, what is this? Uh, like this is the game because obviously all the 1.6 and uh, CS Source community gone, right, this is it. We're going to come together as one. This is the game we're going to. And my God, it took a lot of time to get going. And a lot of people forget that. A lot of people, because again, going back to what I was saying about uh, MMOs, the reason MMOs fail these days, because everybody wants instant satisfaction, instant gratification. They want it fixed instantly. And that's why some games are like, and die instantly uh, as fast as they can. Apex obviously might be on that path at the moment. They've got a lot of work to do to try and keep their, their player base. And it's, that's, that's where it is. Like that, esports takes a while. You, and you can't ever, ever design a game saying, this is going to be an esports game. You have to have the community want it in the first place. Uh, Blizzard's trying. They've, they've been trying. Here's ah. the Storm, Overwatch. They've been trying to get one out there. Uh, so one of the things I wanted to ask you, and this is kind of a unique question, is I've seen League of Legends live. I've seen Overwatch live. I've seen Counter-Strike live. Um, and all of them are very fun to watch live. Like, it's fun to actually be a spectator there and watch that. Yeah. When I imagine something like PUBG, it's something I've never seen live. And I can't imagine enjoying that many people on, like, a stage. It's just, it seems like too much information. Is it as enjoyable to watch live as some of these other games? Um, it, again, it's it's another part of the, the spectator mode and the development of the API and uh, um, Otter Productions out there is one of the companies actually, which is heavily involved in Overwatch and CSGO and all that. So they, <laughs> he does a lot of stuff um, for everything. Uh, and it's actually a lot in part to that. You know, it's all about the information. Like you need, for example, um, the Face of Global Summit was probably the, the best crowd we've ever had. Like it is, and I understand where you're coming from. Like again, as a viewer, if you're, I don't know, a FaZe fan or a Team Liquid fan or Optic Ra the, the, the Rangers guys, the OP Rangers guys that won from Korea, you know, if you're a fan of those teams, you just want to see that team, right? Which online you can see because generally there's team streams as well as the mainstream and uh, the map stream and everything. You've got all this information. Um, but I certainly feel that the viewing experience from Face of Global Summit was definitely up there. Like it was, we had some top, top moments. Um, and a lot of that is down to having the right observer crew and having the right stats. So on the side, we had this enormous screen, 10,080 by 1080, bonkers resolution. Um, but you'd have all of the teams with all of the stats, with all of the kills and all of the hit points and what med packs they've got. It's all on the side there. Yeah, it's a lot of information to take in. But generally, if you're a fan of the game, you can instantly look at him like, oh, okay, they got that, boom. And it's just like League of Legends, right? You'll see a flash of someone in a lane, uh, not literally a flash, I don't mean the, the actual spell, but um, you, you glimpse them, they'll select that person, and you'll quickly see what they're carrying, yeah. uh, what items they bought, blah, blah, blah. And that's in your head. You, like, you see it 
for a split second and you already know like oh he's a bit behind or he's ahead or stuff like that and you quickly look at the items and you can calculate it in the head it's the exact same with PUBG you know the same with Counter-Strike Counter-Strike's obviously the easiest that's by far um, the best esport visually because you can instantly understand it's like that guy's got a big rifle he has a pistol probably gonna lose <laughs> um, so yeah I mean visually I don't think but but PUBG is definitely getting there in terms of like you have the map you have your uh, program monitor or whatever you know program what we see and what the what you see on a normal stream and you've got the stats it's all starting to become this massive thing and people are starting to get a lot more creative with the stages as well so you'd obviously have you know like you would in league of legends you'd have a, a picture of the player and then you can see what life he's on and stuff like that so there's there's a lot you can do with a stage with 64 players on it yeah i mean so it's, I getting, had, it's I... getting there Again, I asked the production kind of stuff. I had Alchemist on uh, recently, actually, who right, yeah. uh, did a bunch of stuff like that. And did I was Overwatch, asking him, yeah, yeah Overwatch, CSGO. Um, CS 1.6 mainly. CS yeah. 1.6, yeah. yeah. Uh, well, he's yeah. doing Blast Pro Series now. So right, he's yes, doing, yes. He's doing all this stuff for, for that. But I, it brings an interesting question. Um, can a Battle Royale uh, compete with these other, like, big esports? Like, you think of, like, big esports, you got League of Legends, Dota, CS. Like those are like the three that everyone thinks of as like super, like super, they're like your Walmarts, right? They're like your Walmarts. Wait, wait, wait. You need to understand they're not competing with each other and they never will be. Yeah, It's football, it's rugby, it's baseball, yeah. it's basketball. They're not competing with one another. You're either a fan of one or you're not a fan of the other. You're a fan of League of Legends or you're a fan of CSGO or you're a fan of Battleground. Yeah. Like you don't, you don't really have crossover. Are, are they ever going to might... pull the numbers? That's what I'm asking. How do you mean? Oh, what? What? Fake the numbers? There's uh, no I, reason to. Oh, that's, I guess, I, not fake, but do you think they're ever going to get the viewership? Or is it going to be like uh, like baseball now? Like, you're right. They are separate, and they definitely have separate fan bases. Yeah. Um, is it going to be the same esteem as, like, if you were to compare, like, professional sports even, uh, there is definitely sports that are not as popular as other sports. Do you think that something like a battle royale is ever going to become as popular as uh, one of those other I mean, uh, esports? Like uh, until League of Legends came around, we nobody could ever imagine a hundred thousand plus viewers for a game. Mm. That was just bonkers to imagine, and that was um, was all down to being embedded in the client. That's yeah. that's what it comes down to. Like, if a game developer is super serious about having esports, e they have to have something in their client to pull the actual player base. And this is a big thing, right? Because you're pulling the player base out of your own game to advertise your own game. Because that's, mm -hmm. let's face it, let's not fool ourselves. Esports is advertising to an yeah. extent. It's a marketing tool. Sure, it is also um, the end goal of what a player should aim at or could aim at if you're competitive. If you're a competitive player, you have an end goal. You know, if you're a League of Legends player, you're going to reach master. You might get picked up by a team, blah, blah, blah. You know, if you're an Overwatch player, you're going to hit grandmaster level and you're going to be playing with those top guys, those top players. And you get, you may either find that as your experience or you may think I'm better than these guys go that one step further and a team might pick you up mm -hmm. uh, but it is also used as an advertising platform overwatch is right there hover over this link accidentally graze over it bam that is a play that is a view um you know that in league of legends everybody said at the time everybody was so salty about it oh the only reason you get those viewers is because it's right there in the client it's like no shit they're fucking clever. That was such a good idea. It's like kidding they get these hundreds of thousands of viewers because it's right there. Why shouldn't they? Like, why wouldn't they? They had, I don't know, 80, 100 million players. 
if they can get a small percentile, and it was a small percentile, let's face it, to watch their games, watch these matches, boom, advertisement right there. And, you know, we're starting to see the benefits of it with, what, Kia advertisement for mm-hmm. the LEC. Faye's got Nissan support and all this. Like, like we see, you know, Mercedes-Benz sponsoring the ESL1s and stuff. And it's all down to the the games basically use them as an advertising platform and a marketing platform to watch the game. For PUBG to get that big? Or, I, I don't know, I mean, I guess if, you're gonna, if we're going to lump all the Battlegrounds in there, and that's a big title in itself, you know, Fortnite and Apex yeah. and PUBG and all these games that you can lump together, will they ever get their viewer base? I have no idea. I mean, Fortnite certainly does, yeah. and that's yeah. fucking horrible to watch. If you've it's ever so tried, try and watch the World Cup right now. And it, I, I tried to watch it yesterday. Goldemore was casting it, and it was just not fun to watch. I think even as a player, I don't think it would be enjoyable to watch because it's just a stack of players, and they're all balls, and they're all bloody thing. I don't know what's going on. But anyway, um, not so much for me. I'm more of a PUBG guy, which is why I like, you know, hey, I'm a Battlefield player. PUBG fits perfectly for me because it's a World War, well, not World War II, but it's, you know, <clears throat> a gun game, more realistic. but. I don't know. Do, does it need to have hundreds of thousands of viewers? I guess to an extent, maybe to be offered as successful. Maybe I don't know. That, um, that's I know what I was going to ask next. Is yeah, the, we what, certainly what is necessary? high numbers. It uh, face it, we hit we hit good numbers. Like the problem is, unlike um, unlike with League of Legends, unlike with Counter, we obviously have team streams. So you've got boom, sixteen team streams instantly, and then. That's just in English. And then you've got German, Spanish, Chinese, Korean. That's just the team streams. Then you have the mainstream. So there's so much to pull all together in terms of stats. I don't know. I know we were hitting 100,000 to face it, but like, at what part of that was? The official broadcast, the whatever team, whatever map, whatever country, I don't know. <clears throat> So is that a success? I guess it is. I guess it I, was. I, I, when I think when I think of success, I think of sustainability. Like when I because that's yeah. that's honestly when I when I look at Overwatch, will, that is the will thing there that be terrible. a second season? Is there yeah. is what you get? Will there yeah. be a second season? Um, who the hell knows? Uh, other than you know PUBG Corp in Korea, like they're the only people that are going to be able to answer that. Like w- at what do they measure the success? No clue whatsoever. Like what? Uh, what do you measure the success of Overwatch League? Like, what's their goals for Overwatch the amount League of money? Terrifies are... me. That yeah, terrifies no kidding. Me. So, what, what have they asked for for return on investment for I don't know, ten, fifteen million? Who the hell knows? I mean, obviously, we're not talking on investments for PUBG, but um, as an outlier, I guess I mean they must be investing a lot of money still. I know for a fact, like I know League of Legends seasons cost a hell of a lot of money. Like, I, I guess PUBG must be laying out a lot to have you know a season in Berlin and a season in Los Angeles. And a season in China and a season in Korea in Seoul. Yeah. You know, these, these, this is a lot of money. This is a lot of money out loud. So I have no clue at what point they say, yes, it's a success. Let's have a season two or no, it's a failure that we're canceling it because you've got the knock on effect of a, we either commit and maybe it didn't hit the goals we wanted, but we'll have a second season anyway. Or B, we pull the plug, which looks terrible and instantly dead game. Like as soon as you do that, dead game. So it's like a knock-on effect, right? It's it's the risk thing, the gamble that the publisher takes. So so that brings me to a question with you. Then obviously you are you're getting married soon. Do you ever worry about that? That because you're working with PUBG, that it could it could go away tomorrow. That because you don't know. Uh, no, you don't know. No. 
and you, you really can even if you were on a full-time like full-time employee you still don't know i mean if realistically if they decide to cut it then you're still getting cut it doesn't matter if you're full-time or not so i mean it's always there that's the, that's the life of a freelancer right that's, that's yeah. at the end of the day that that is that is what you have to live and die on and it's a nightmare for um you know financial investments and stuff like that it's yeah sure um i mean you know this is the bizarre situation of like being you've got a year a year ahead of you which is like which is why you know your league of legends and your overwatch the guys that are doing that oh it's so good for them although overwatch obviously had changes at the end of the season they've had changes uh you know some were cut some were changed as far as i know money changed as well um so a lot of situations can change but that is simply the business we're in right that and it's always been that way you know there is no um guarantee um let's face it it's 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 not esports it's the games themselves you know yeah there will always be a new game that's that that's where you gotta look at and that's uh that's where multi-game commentators and single game commentators obviously die right can you make the transition you know think of machine you know out there who's doing counter-strike he was a Call of Duty guy. He was a Call of Duty 4 player. That's where he came from. I cast with him back back in Call of Duty 4 Pro Mod back in 2004, 2005. And, you know, at the time, it was just like a simple case of how do we get all these color casters? You have a chat with them. Where did Jack come from? Talk to him in Korea. Where did Skara come from? Talk to him in Korea. You know, these, these guys you just chat with and you're like, you could probably be a commentator. Do you fancy giving it a go? <laughs> I've got this game. But yeah, but they, you know, it, it's a case of, uh, it's it's a lot harder for a color commentator to make the transition to another game, um, but yeah, it's it's a simple case of we are in the gaming industry. There will always be something new. Like where did Apex come from? Nobody expected that. That was yeah. I don't even think, I don't even think EA expected that to be honest. Um, but yeah, you know, there's always going to be that next game. You know, Fortnite came out as a zombie game. Defense was okay, and then suddenly they put Battle Royale and boom. And Ninjas now, I looked at him, he's got, what, four plus million followers now, something like that. So it's like, this, is, this is a guy that used to play um, Halo and, you know, he, he used to play for Luminosity and PUBG. You know, it didn't do that great in there, but he was really good at third person, but didn't cut it really in the first person. Goes to Fortnite and explodes, you know, absolutely crazy. And that's just, that is just the industry we're in right now. It's, you know, it can be uh, make or break, um, literally in a flip like it's how the game industry is, sadly. And you know, we we obviously hear about the the game studios firing people left and right. You know that. Let's face it. You know they make a game, and that's it. Your game is made. Uh, sorry, we have no longer use for you. On to the next game. You know, and that's that's there. You know, game programmers are in the exact same problem we are. You know, a game, they live or die by how successful their game is. Yeah, I I can see that and. <clears throat> Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. So it's not something that you, you're, you're like not even that worried about. It's like if it happens, it happens. There'll be another game and I'll probably get something else or I'll find something yeah, else. Yeah, well, I mean, it, it is obviously a time commitment. And I, I like, for example, um, a prime example right now is I know um, a lot of um, companies were putting their hats in the ring for Artifact. And that's what happened to that. What happened oh, to that? Eh? This is Artifact. This is going to be the next big card game. You know, it's done by Valve. It's going to be amazing. Boom gone nothing and it's got like i don't know how many people are playing it right now on steam but not a lot um it's that's again you know a game that so many people have invested a lot of time in saying this is going to be the next big and the biggest issue for us as a commentator is seeing it coming right so it could be you know coming to the end of the season and you're something oh this is not going where do you go from there well you have to look at what games are coming out 
Um, and for a lot of us casters, um, yeah, you can cast a game you don't enjoy, but it's, I think it's quite obvious if a caster's casting a game they don't enjoy. It's clearly, there's clearly no passion there. Um, so you've got to find not only a game that's coming out, a game that you enjoy. Uh, and then you've got to put the community hours back into it to get into the casting gigs, to get known in the community uh, that they want you there. Or you maybe need to know somebody that works at the company and, you know, as an, as an inroad for you. As, as sort of that. But yeah, yeah, it can be scary. It can be something like you've gone from a reliable income for a year to nothing for five months. <laughs> it's just something like, oh, shit. <laughs> Might need to look at actually getting a proper job. <laughs> oh, God. Oh, God, no. It's going to happen sooner or later for me because I'm going on. Like, I, I mean, I'm sure I've probably got um, avenues that I could go to in, in within the esports industry outside of commentating, be it in production or, I don't know, behind the scenes doing whatever. But it's not something I've wanted to explore yet. Hopefully, can keep casting for a few years yet. <laughs> I, I think you'll be able to. Uh, my bet is that you will not have this. See, I feel like that's something you worry about a lot. You're worried that eventually the people are going to view you as being too old and you're going to get thrown out. Yeah, of course you have to, because it's like, I, it was funny. I actually was, it really hit me when I was casting League of Legends um, originally, was when people coming up to you for, for, for photos and autographs and whatever. And it's like, what do you mean? The players are the ones that are the stars. I'm just a guy that talks about it. And, then, and they said, yeah, but it's, it's you that we see all the time. And that's when it hit you. So like, yeah, I guess I'm on camera more than they are. So you're kind of the face of it. And then you realize like, oh, damn, <laughs> I'm the face of it. <laughs> Poor them. Um, but yeah, it's like, but that's, that's it, right? So you've, it's moved away from, you know, if you think of traditional sports, you think of the commentators, you don't know what they look like. You don't know half these guys. You barely ever see them. Maybe you'll get a shot of them. They're in a big woolly coat in the stand somewhere talking to you quickly with a mic on. But that's really about it because you'll have the hosts in the studio, hosts with ex-players, well, we're not in the luxury of that half the time. You know, obviously, unless the game's got history, you can't have ex-players. Sure, League of Legends and Counter-Strike have got these ex-players out there, but as soon as a new game comes out, like Apex, who's an ex-player of Apex? It's like, the game's not been out long enough. So, you know, we're only just getting to that stage with PUBG, right? We're having ex-players that can come on and be the color caster. Um, so that you'd have a studio, which we call, you know, it became the analyst desk, right? That was what it originally is, and it's still called the analyst desk. Really, that's the studio. Like it should be, this is the studio over to the casters. And it's kind of become that way. We're on camera two minutes max, I would say. And that's only after the game. We're not on before the game anymore. It's just like, these are the guys you see. So it'd be, you know, Kalaris, Avenger, Froz, into the game, boom. And it literally goes into the game. And then you maybe see us at the end of it. We'd be sat there chatting away and suddenly the camera come to us and be like, oh shit, camera's on us. <laughs> chatting away and then pass to the interview. That's literally the only time we're on there. Whereas you think of uh, uh, it, it, different esports play yeah. differently. Think of Legends, think of Counter-Strike. Uh, the actual casters are on camera for quite a while. You know, at the start, like, you know, you'll have uh, Sadikist and, and Henry G in, introduce and the, the crowd cheer and all this like, sort of stuff like that. And it's the same with, obviously, League of Legends. You'll have the TriCast stood there. Uh, in all their glory and standing up in their fancy uh, Armani suits these days or whatever they're, they're studying. They do very days. nice suits. <laughs> so. Lots of fitted suits. But I, I think that you'll last. I, I don't really, I don't think that that will, you think it's an issue? I'm willing, I'm willing to bet on that. That would be something that I, I'd be like, I, I'd bet. It's, it's, it's more just, um, you know, 
at the end of the day, there's no guaranteed income, right? As yeah. a caster, you're not, you know, we're not full-time employed. I used to be um, uh, with ESL. I used to be full-time employed, but not anymore. Like I've been for uh, a year now, actually. It's, a, it's been my first full year as an actual freelancer. Um, so you've always got to have that backup in your head, right? You've got to, you've got to have something if you, you know, whatever coming down the line, be it bloody family or commitments or whatever the hell you've got, you've always got to have, I think, what's going to happen if I can't pay the bill suddenly? What's going to, like, if I'm not suddenly doing an event every other weekend or whatever, where's my money coming from? So you've, you've got to have that fallback plan. That makes um, sense. Whatever it is. So yeah. I, I want to thank you so much for being on the show. It's been a lot of fun, I think. I've enjoyed my time. I don't know if you have, but I have. Yes, that's the important part. So I have one last question for you. And depending on who you are, this is arguably the hardest question that I ask people. I think it's really easy, but I, who knows? So the last question that I have for you um, is you, you've got the experience of being on the show. You've got to sit down and talk with me for an hour and 50 minutes so far. Um, that being said, if you could pick anyone who is involved in esports to be on the show, so you could kind of learn more about their life, who would you pick? And it doesn't matter what esports, it doesn't matter what they do. They just need to speak English because I'm uncultured and only speak English. <laughs> That's the um, uh, Well, other than being ignorant and not knowing who's been on the show, um, if it's somebody I want to know about, I mean, the thing is I know so many people. Like, I can't say Joe Miller because I know his life. And I've, mm-hmm. I probably know more, more about his life than he'll ever get shown on a, in an interview. <laughs> Let's put it that way. Um, I, I mean, I guess... I guess the, the, the best thing I can think of would be either Nick or Dan would be uh, Tasis or Artosis. Like they're probably, probably the golden horse to try and get hold of, mind you, as well. So good luck with that one. Um, but yeah, with, with Nick or Dan, because obviously they've, we, we've seen stuff with them before. And I know Nick's done, I mean, I'm pretty sure Nick's doing a series, a documentary type series himself anyway. Uh, but they've obviously been around f- since very early StarCraft sort of days. So. Maybe someone like that, or maybe, um, or you could have an interesting one. If you want a, a, an old story, old sort of school, um, Tosspot, I don't know if you ever know who that is, which is Stuart Saw. I believe he works for WME now. Um, hasn't been a caster for quite a few years, um, but obviously he was the original quad v guy used to cast a lot of uh return to castle wolf sign so would know um and uh, oh enemy territory sorry enemy territory did a lot of enemy and stuff like that so he would probably know um he knows the early days fanatic stuff with sam matthews um cast all the old stuff and then he obviously was an employee with twitch for a long time and is now uh, with WME. So that's an interesting, so it's, it's kind of moving away from casting, but he was a caster. He was my co-caster with Call mm-hmm. of Duty for a long time as well. So definitely an interesting story from him. I don't know whether you'd ever get him though. <laughs> Good okay. luck with that. Yeah, well, the story of my life. That's all I'm saying is I'm just like. Or you, or you could always have Machine. Machine, yeah. Ruby what? Yeah, Alex. Alex on there. Okay. I think those are all good. Uh, some of, I feel like uh, Machine, I've definitely had someone else ask about yeah, before. And sure. I don't remember who. So that was definitely one. But the other but ones I, are I mean, interesting. I know, I, know Alex's, I know Alex's story really well. <laughs> that's the problem because I've known him for yeah, I, I wanted someone who you want on here because that's that's what matters, right? So, But yeah. I want, I want oh, to thank you. you. Have you ever tried DJ Wheat? Have you ever tried to Mark Marcus, Marcus would obviously, you know, Marcus and Red Eye, they have the longest stories by far because they've both been around and done it. Like, especially Marcus. Marcus has been around and done 
everything. Uh, doesn't, you know, not so much a commentator these days, but back then he was the caster that did every single thing. That would that would be good. I have heard of I, I know who both those people are, so that's at yeah. least a good starting point. So the, the, wanna... the two people have probably cast more games than I have. Maybe, maybe. Well, but Red Eye definitely. Red Eye definitely has. Mm-hmm. He's yeah, he's been around forever. That yeah, I, I know. So but I, I want to thank you so much for being on the show. I think I've had a lot of fun. It, thank you for taking the time out of your day. I know we've been trying to set this up for a while. I really appreciate <laughs> yeah. it. Uh I don't normally give shout outs. If you want them, you could have them. Otherwise, uh, we'll just close out. But if you have any shout outs, go ahead. This is your time. Oh, just 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 great to be on here, really. You know, it's an old time I like myself. Don't get to do too many of these things anymore. <laughs> it's Even normally, you know, uh, I don't know, Lauren and bloody Richard PUBG or whatever, you know, whatever the the, the the hottest duo are in it because I'm just the uh, the old guy in the background these days. <laughs> Get out of here. Well, thank you so much. Um, everyone, uh, I hope you've enjoyed this episode and I hope that you've really learned a lot here. Um, this has been Deep Dives into the Minds of Esports. My name is Blake Panashevitz and until next time, I hope everyone has a wonderful day.